I didn't cry. I made it. That was like my only goal. My only goal was don't cry, then maybe try to say some nice things. The, that was the order. Don't cry was number one. Love you. Yeah. All right. This is weird. <laughs> it's weird. You know, the, um, the way I'm wired, I just sort of like to hold on to things. <laughs> Love to hold on to people, you know. Um, but the reality is our Father is holding on to all of us all the time. And we're his forever. And, you know, new adventures that, that, that people go off to, get called to. Um, God's in that. And he knits our hearts together. And, you know, I... When I moved to Knoxville and we planted this church, I, I was prepared for the fact that there'd be some college kids that would come and go, right? You come to town, you go to school, you graduate, you move on. Um, but it's not just college kids that leave at times. Um, and so the Lord calls us to different places and different seasons. We love y'all. We'll miss you. Um, believe in the Lord is in it for sure. All right. Well, if for no other reason than to help me, y'all could agree together in prayer for me, um, and maybe we could pray for our own hearts um, as we jump into a new series together this morning. Just a quick four-week series on godly contentment, godly contentment. Um, we're going to talk a lot about, about contentment, peace, joy, things the Lord wants, wants us to experience here and now. I know heaven is the place where, like, there's joy forever. I know heaven is the place where there's ultimate peace but Jesus intended for us to experience in the here and now his abiding peace and joy, being, being settled in the midst of a crazy world where things aren't settled. And so I'm just believing God's got some stuff for us these next few weeks. Um, and so let's just invite him to come and talk to us about this, all right? So Heavenly Father, I mean, even as we sung this morning, God, we're, we're supposed to dwell with you. Jesus told us that you abide in us and we abide in you. And Lord, the truth is where you are, there's peace. Where you are, there's joy. Where you are is, is true satisfaction. And Lord, I just, I acknowledge all the times and the places in my life, even in the midst of being your son, where I, I don't live in that reality. Where I, I'm striving for joy that I don't seem to have I'm trying to obtain peace that feels elusive. Um, and a lot of times being content, to me, it just sort of means settling for less than. And so I just acknowledge that. Lord, I just, I pray you would not just teach us some information, but God, you would draw us to yourself and that we would receive from you what you have for us. Perfect peace. Everlasting joy satisfaction in you. We're asking for that. Open our eyes, open our hearts to receive this from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So when, when, you, when you hear the word, you know, contentment or peace, you know, I don't know what you might think. Um, I feel like Corona ads capture it really well for me. Um, I'm a beach guy. When I think of peace or contentment, man, my feet are in the sand, you know, and I'm just hearing the waves just kind of splashing on the shore. Like that, 
that's where I go to my, my peace, happy place. If I wasn't a pastor, I'd just be a beach bum. Like that's, that's my, my little hidden dream over here that's now not hidden because I've told all of you. Um, but like that's, that's what I picture. My guess is there are things that, that you picture or imagine when you're thinking of being content. You know, maybe, maybe you reflect back to some moments from your childhood where you just felt like you really experienced that. You know, maybe you are a vacation person. There's a vacation spot that you picture. You know, maybe you even have a little place like at your house. You know, there's that, that little porch over here. There's that chair in this corner over here. There's, there's imagery that, that we picture. There's experiences that we hold on to um, when we think of contentment or peace. And so I kind of just want to dive into this a little bit this morning. There's a little bit of an outline here, but I, I kind of just want to kind of push off and start talking about this a little bit. And so I want to just start with this idea of, am I content? Um, Or maybe you could consider it this way. What brings me peace? What brings me peace? Um, I want to read a verse just to kind of kick things off. Paul's writing to Timothy, and, you know, he's, he's aware not only of what the culture does to get us to, to pursue peace, to, per, to pursue things that are going to satisfy but he was already recognizing within the church. These are the early days after Jesus has ascended to the Father that even within the church, there's already bad teaching that's like encouraging people to get wrapped up in a bunch of nonsense that, that doesn't satisfy or fulfill. And so he's warning Timothy about this and, and he just puts it really simply. He says, in contrast to all that the world is offering and all that even false teachers will offer, He just boils it down and he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That word contentment um, or just, just being content, it means sufficient, like what I have is sufficient. Um, It means a satisfied mind or disposition. Like my very just outlook and approach to life is that I, I feel satisfied. That's like the pervading feeling over my life. And I'm not gonna make you raise your hands this morning, but I wonder how many of us would raise our hands and say, the pervading feeling in my life is a deep sense of satisfaction. If you're anything like me, probably not. Probably not. But that's what, that's what biblical contentment means. In fact, not only does it mean um, things are sufficient, I have a satisfied mind or disposition. It even means to be strong and able to assist someone else. So I'm, I'm in such a place that there's, there's reserves, there's overflow. I, I have something to offer because I have been, my needs have been sufficiently met because I've received satisfaction from the Lord. I, I'm able to even be in a spot to hand that off to others, to be a blessing to others. This is, this is godly contentment. Um, but the reality is, when I look at my life, even though I'm a follower of Jesus, I've got all this scripture I, I know about peace from God, the truth is, I fall into looking for peace, looking for contentment in other places. And so maybe just at the outset of things this morning, as we move into this series, I would just encourage you, maybe you need to do this, you know, this afternoon, sometime this week. Pause and consider the question, what brings me peace? 
when I can reflect upon times, seasons, moments, when I have that sense of being settled in satisfaction, what is it that gives me peace? Or what is it that I'm pursuing to help me get that? You know, it might be experiences, right? That's what I refer to, vacation. You know, maybe it's a hobby, something you enjoy doing. When I'm, when I'm in that spot doing that thing with those people, that's when I feel that sense of being settled and satisfied. Maybe that's it. Um, maybe for you, it's, it's really more about like achievement or success. You might not even put those words to it, but, but man, you're a worker, you're a striver. Maybe you've thrown yourself into your career and that sense of accomplishment, that sense of, of achieving a certain, not even just position, but maybe a, a standing, you know, how, how you're viewed or perceived. Maybe you just, even within, like a lot of your identity is anchored in that level of like, I've been successful in work, in business. Achievement gives me that peace. And when things are off in that realm, when I'm struggling or it's not working, man, I'm in a bad place. Maybe it's not experiences. Maybe it's not achievement. Maybe it's what I'm gonna call acquisition. You know, when, when things are gathered and settled and ordered in my life, that kind of that sense of like control brings comfort. Any, anybody struggle with that? My hand's up because I can relate to that one, right? If I can just get everything lined up just right. I told one or two people this morning, like we're getting away for a few days this week, going, going to the lake. And um, to give myself permission to go, I had to accomplish my list. And so for like three weeks, I've had my list in my head of what I need to do. Um, and it's just my own list that I made up because I'll feel better if it's done and then I can relax when I go. And so I'm chipping away at my list. And, and so, you know, maybe, maybe for you it's, you know, it's not necessarily acquiring stuff, it's creating an environment. If I can create and protect this environment at my home, at my job, around me, then I feel content. Um, Another way to look at this, another way to look at this is instead of asking the question, what brings my peace, is maybe pay attention to what steals your peace. What steals your peace? What is it that when that thing gets, gets taken from me, when somebody messes with that, I lose this. Um, someone pushes in where I don't want them to be, like, what causes me to lose peace? And then there's this alternative view. There's this alternative view. There is this sense, um, there are even religions that'll, that'll push this direction or it can just be a way of thinking we slip into where the way to really have peace or contentment, instead of where do I get it, it's, it's through detachment, right? It's through detachment. If I don't need that stuff, if I don't need those people, if I can just have this detachment, then nothing can really get to me or hurt me and I, I can have peace or contentment. You know, it might be an intentional detachment. It might just be a practiced apathy. I wonder how many of us, in order to just reach a place of feeling somewhat at peace, we've realized I, I'm, I can't get it. I can't grab hold of it. So we just lower the bar. And go, well, then I'll just, I'll just settle for this, and that'll be all right. I want, I want to challenge you with a thought this morning, because I believe, and, and 
I, I, even, I even hate to just say this because I just feel like we'll all nod and go, well, yeah, I know, that's true. But like, I believe true peace is only gonna come from one place. True peace is a gift from God. It's something special and unique that only he can do for us. True peace, true contentment, it comes from him. And so I believe if we'll pay attention to what steals our peace, it will expose our idols. I'm gonna say that one more time. If we will pay attention to the things that steal our peace, it will expose our idols. The truth is what I am looking for to get peace, satisfaction, joy, whether I've acknowledged it or not, that's what I'm worshiping. And there's only one who can live up to that. There's only one who we can worship that truly lives up to that ability to give us peace, joy, satisfaction, everything we need and long for, it only comes from him. But see, in our, in our modern day, in our modern culture, even hearing the word idol, we're like, well, that's weird. And I don't have some like golden carved image in my house and I'm not bowing down to it and praying to it. And like somehow I think that, that we feel like in our day and age, we've moved beyond idols. That's some weird Old Testament thing that people that lived in the desert did because they didn't know any better. We just don't use that terminology. But we do, we, we bow down and we worship things and whatever God you worship, they've got a demand. If you're worshiping the God of achievement, there's a lot of demands that that God wants you to answer to. And that God is never satisfied. And so instead of it producing something good in us, it sucks the life out of us. My hope is that we would move beyond just saying like, I acknowledge the reality that God offers me peace. That as followers of Jesus, that we would choose to believe that this is real and it is available to me in Christ right here, right now. And that maybe the very fact that my peace can be stolen and I feel it so deeply, I feel robbed. Like in some of my most honest moments, I realize there have been times I've been angry with the very people in my house because I feel like they're stealing something from me. Anybody else ever been willing to acknowledge that a little bit in your heart, recognize that? And see, then, if you want to even go a step further, I've realized times in my life where without even really verbalizing it, I just finally got real and honest and realized, God, I'm blaming you for not having peace. The very God who makes it available to me, in my heart, I'm feeling like you're ripping me off. You're withholding. You seem to give peace to them over there, but I don't have it. And I, I, I'm feeling as if his blessing isn't on my life. Guys, this is real stuff that I've, I've dealt with. The truth is, 
what Paul came to realize in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. He's addressing this way in his life that even though he had experienced a lot that God had to offer, man, he'd experienced radical revelation and encounter with God. He had experienced success in ministry, reaching people for the kingdom, helping churches grow. That in the midst of all of that, there was something that just was just there and it was hard and it didn't leave. And he, he referred to it as like this thorn in his flesh. It was just this struggle that wouldn't go away. And he had a conversation with God about it and he lets us in on it. 2 Corinthians 12, verse nine. But he, he's talking about the Lord. The Lord said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient. That's the same word, contentment. It's the same Greek word behind it. My grace is sufficient. It's enough to satisfy. It's enough to satisfy. It's enough to set you at ease. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, well, therefore, if that's true, then I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Lord showed Paul something. He showed him that true peace, it comes from reliance on the one we worship and not from the circumstances around us. In fact, if you look at that whole passage, I'd encourage you to do that. Paul goes on to acknowledge that this very thing he was struggling with, it was good for him. Because he had a tendency to get overconfident, arrogant, as if his success in life was then somehow reliant on him, his gifts, his skills, what he had accomplished. And so the Lord was using the very thing that Paul felt was robbing his peace, the Lord was using it to, in a greater way, reveal the peace that was available only from him. That, guys, that's a radical way of thinking. That the very thing ripping me off might actually be a gift from God to show me where true peace comes from. It comes from him and not these other things I'm relying on. Is this landing for anybody? I mean, man, I need to hear this stuff. The secret to being content and having peace is not about chasing it. And it's not about learning to settle for less than. Neither one of those is what God's saying. True peace does not come from detachment. True peace does not come from achievement. True peace comes from proper attachment. That's where it comes from. Attachment to the source of peace. See, this isn't just being offered to us by Jesus. Jesus experienced this in the most real way possible. His life was rooted in being connected to his father that he considered to be really good. He bragged about his father all the time. He couldn't stop talking about him. 
how great he is, what his kingdom was like, all that he had to offer. And he couldn't wait to convince his disciples how great it was to abide with that dad, to live in his house. He carried around this precious secret that he wanted to let people in on. But guys, Jesus' life wasn't easy. The scripture describes him as a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. He said of himself, even foxes have holes. (laughs) Birds have a place to nest. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus lived out of this right to the very end. Check this out. Y'all know this passage. The night he's about to be betrayed, in fact, moments before he's betrayed, to be put on trial and then executed. And he knows what's coming. Mark's gospel records this moment in Mark 14, verses 32 through 36. Jesus gathers his disciples. They finished having that last meal together, the last supper. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. The, the peace we're gonna receive from the Lord does not mean we will be, from, be free from distress and trouble. He was greatly distressed. He wasn't detaching himself from the reality that was about to take place. He was looking it fully in the face. He was being honest. What I'm about to go through is the most difficult thing I could ever experience. And he was letting that reality sink in on him. He wasn't hiding from it and he wasn't running from it. And so that reality caused distress and trouble. I think sometimes as believers, we think we're just supposed to be fake to get our way through things, right? We put on the fake smile and we go to church and life's good, brother, even though I'm miserable all week long, even though my marriage is falling apart. I don't know where my career is heading right now, like my job's in the, in the toilet. But like our way through is to pretend it's okay. It's not okay. And it's okay to say it's not okay. Jesus let his friends see this. He was greatly distressed. He was troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. See, Jesus talked to God about his circumstances. And he said, it'd be great if these would change. <laughs> like, it, we should be real and honest. We can be real and honest with each other. Like, if we can't be real and honest in this family, where can we? In fact, it's a sad commentary on the state of the church that we can't, we don't feel like we can be honest with each other. But he let his friends in on it. And then he went to the Lord and he said, God, I'm distressed, I'm sorrowful. Can I get out of this in some way? Can you change these circumstances? Like he acknowledged they weren't desirable. He prayed that the hour would pass from him, verse 36. But he said, Abba, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Not what I will, but what you will. 
he entrusted himself into his father's hands, believing that that's the best place to be. Believing that his needs would be met in his father. And he did this right up till his final breath. I think sometimes we forget that Jesus was a man. That he felt and experienced physical pain. That he understood what it was like to be betrayed. He'd experienced a cl- close relationships letting him down, betraying him. He, he, he had that experience. I know that Jesus knew he was gonna give his life for us. I know that. And he was telling his disciples about it to get it ready. But he still faced his death. He still experienced the beatings. He still had to, in a moment of faith, believe when I breathe my last, my father's got me. I don't, I don't think we'll, maybe we'll never know. I don't think we'll know this side of heaven what it really looked like for Jesus to walk the earth, yes, as the son of God, but as, as a man who was choosing to believe that that was true. I'm a man choosing to believe I'm the one who was sent. And so what did he do in his final breath? Luke 23, 46 records the words. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Because Jesus was willing and able to place his life in his Father's hands, even up to his death, because Jesus did that, we have two really cool things now. We have a God who can relate when our peace is being ripped away from us. When my life feels like it's falling apart. When it's not going the way I'd hoped or I'd planned. My dreams seem to be delayed and maybe not even coming to pass ever. We have a God who can relate to that. Secondly, because Jesus placed his life in the Father's hands like that, His peace is now available to us. Do y'all realize the, the peace that God offers us? It's because of Jesus. It is because of his sacrifice that we can be attached. We can be connected to the source of peace. That was broken. And every human walking the earth, whether they can verbalize it or not, feels that break from peace. That's why we're looking for it. We feel that break from being satisfied, at ease about who we are and our place in the world. We feel it. And so we're looking for it. We're striving to get it. And because of who Jesus was and what he did, it's available to us. It's available to us. We receive peace through attachment. Paul writes about it this way, Ephesians chapter two, verses 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility 
by God's grace, we have peace with him. We've been reconciled. We've been reattached. Because of Jesus, we have peace. You know, over and over and over again, the words grace and peace are linked together in the New Testament. Have you ever noticed that? We, we even put it, like we've got a couple little things we printed years ago that probably nobody reads anymore because you've walked past them 20 times. But one of them says grace and peace right at the top and then has a verse. Read through the New Testament. How often does, you know, Peter, Paul, these guys, usually either in their greeting or the benediction at the end of the letter or maybe both, they use the words grace and peace. It's like something that they're, they're praying over the church. They're saying grace and peace be on you. I love how James Hastings puts this in his Bible commentary. If you don't catch anything I say, catch what he's about to say. In his commentary, he talks about these dual things of grace and peace and why do they go together? And he says, grace is the sum of blessing bestowed. Let's say that again. Grace is the sum of blessing bestowed. Okay, in God's grace, he's given us his blessing. I can't earn it. I don't achieve it. It is a gift from him. His grace is a blessing bestowed. But he goes on and he says, and peace is the sum of blessing experienced. Grace is the sum of, of blessing bestowed. If you are in Christ, his grace has been poured out on you. And it's, it's enough. It's sufficient to bring contentment. That's what sufficient is. Remember, same word. Peace is in the realm of experience. Peace is in the realm of receiving it. Peace is in the realm of realizing what he has made available and saying, yeah, that. I take it. I grab a hold of it. I receive it. I hold my hands out and say, help, pour it in. I'll take it. I fear that far too many of us as believers, we settle for grace, the blessing bestowed, and then we trudge through life not experiencing peace, the blessing experienced. We can have it. We can enjoy it. We can receive it from him. See, we don't have to try to have it in spite of our circumstances. He offers it to us in the midst of our circumstances. He says, in the midst of the hardest things going on in your life, I'm present and I'm available. And you can experience my peace, not because of what's happening around you externally, but because my grace is pouring it into your life. Receive it from me. So, I want to move towards some application this morning. I want to move towards how, how do we experience peace? Like, great. God's grace is available. His peace is available. Awesome. Well, I still struggle with not having it. How can we experience his peace? I want to talk to you briefly about offering. There's a couple different offerings in the Old Testament. Um, we see burnt offerings and we see peace offerings. 
often we see them happening together. Like they're talked about in Leviticus. It's kind of laid out. Here's how you do these things. And then later through the Old Testament scriptures, we see moments in time where there are burnt offerings and peace offerings. Okay, Jake, why'd you go Old Testament on us? What does this mean? Okay, the burnt offering has to do with atonement. It has to do with dealing with the separation between me and God. Atonement is about covering my sin. Do, do we need burnt offerings anymore? Because our atonement, once and for all, was accomplished in Jesus Christ. He was the ultimate offering, the ultimate sin offering. The wall's been removed. We just read about that. Peace with God has been made. He's reconciled me. Okay, a peace offering was different. A peace offering flowed out of a relationship that was already in good standing. It wasn't an offering to make peace. It was an offering recognizing I have peace with God. It's also called a thanksgiving offering. A peace offering is an expression of worship. It's a sacrificial expression of worship to acknowledge what God has done for me. It's, it's a friendship experience. Y'all catching this? Do I think we then need to go bake some bread and kill the fatted calf and present God our peace offering on the altar? No. But we have New Testament teaching about worship. We're called to worship, both Old and New Testament. And look, David knew all about this. Watch him describe this. Psalm 100, probably a familiar psalm to you. Think about this in the context of worship and, and experiencing peace from God. Listen to this. Psalm 100, verses one through five. It's the whole psalm. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. So we have joyful noise. That works out great for me because I don't sing well. Just joyful noise is all I gotta bring. Serving him, that's a form of worship. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. When you see no in the Old Testament like that, it's as, as you would say, knowing in the biblical sense. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? It's about intimacy. Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived a child. If we will know and have intimacy with our father, birth, birth forth will be peace. We'll have peace. It produces that. Know that he's good. Not just know truth about him, experience it. We experience it in worship. It is he who has made us and we are his. Do you see how that anchors us? What robs my peace is I, I don't feel tethered to anything. Something's not right. Something's out of place. And this anchors us. It is he who has made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The good shepherd is gonna provide for his sheep that he loves. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts 
with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. He's always good. His love doesn't cease and that includes even me and you generations later. How do we begin to experience peace? We worship God. We worship the one we were made to worship. We worship the only one who can truly give us peace. We worship him. We bring our offering. Listen, Alex said this. He hadn't, I don't think you knew I was going here at all. He said this this morning about like, we can worship him when stuff's good, but he also said when stuff's not good, we can worship him. That is absolutely right. God smiles on that. That's a leap of faith. God, things are falling apart around me, but I choose to worship you because I know that you're good. And so I choose to enter into your presence and trust you. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. That's what worship is. I see his grace towards me. I see his love towards me. And I respond to it by saying, Jesus, I put my life in your hands. And so we worship. It's our loving response to our gracious God. So here's, here's what I wanna do through this series. When I get to the end of the message, I, I wanna give us um, some tools these have been referred to over time as the spiritual disciplines. Due to the sound of those words, I'm gonna call them worshipful responses. Um, another guy I like to read, he calls them soul keeping. All right, these are, these are biblical practices that move us into the realm of experiencing God, of worshiping him the way he intended for us to worship. All right, so this isn't like homework and I'll check next Sunday to see if you did it. And it's not just do it this week because we talked about it this Sunday. But I just, I wanna equip y'all each of the next four weeks with things we can do to, to move into the realm of experiencing that, uh, that abiding peace, that overabundant joy. Where we can move from just settling to being settled anchored, rooted in him. And so I wanna close by talking to you about the worship response of meditation. Meditation. Uh, let me say biblical meditation. But there's a reason the world tries to use that, right? I'm trying to, I'm gonna do a bad job explaining it because I don't practice the non-biblical version, but right, I'm trying to like center myself. I'm trying to reach some place of like, I'm okay with me and the world around me. But like true biblical meditation, I'm rooted and grounded in Christ. I meditate on, on him, the truth of who he is and what he does. And so let me just give you a couple things to ponder here. I'm gonna give you some Old and New Testament. Uh, Paul talks about this several places. One of them is Romans 8, 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. That's why our peace gets stolen. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
having our minds centered on him, who he is, the truth of what he's all about brings me into life and peace. Getting wrapped up in what these see, that leads to me being ripped off. That leads to death. So worship response, meditation. Isaiah makes this promise, Isaiah 26, three and four. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So two ways we meditate, and then we'll wrap up. Number one, we meditate on his word. Psalm 119, verses 15 and 16. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. What if in all the information we are receiving all the time about who we are, about what's going on in the world around us, about the condition of my bank account, about the condition of my home, about the condition of my relationships, all that information that just comes at us all the time. What if instead my mind was saturated by the truth of God's word? He says peace follows that. Meditate on his word. His word tells us who he is. It tells us who we are. It lets us know that things like in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because he's overcome the world. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, I offer you my peace. Not as the world gives, do I give. Truth, we meditate on it. The second thing we do, we don't just meditate on his word, we meditate on his ways. What's he doing? What's he up to? What has he done in the past? What, he is, what is he committed to do in the future? What is he doing in my life right now? That's what Paul did. Paul was wrestling through this thing that was making him miserable. And he was talking to the Lord about it. He was asking God to change it. And in the midst of that, God showed him something he was up to and it brought him to a new level of peace in the midst of that circumstance. And so Psalm 145 verse five says, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Let's consider what he does, who he is. What's he done in the past in the lives of other people? What's he done in my past? What's he promised me through his word that he'll do in the future? I want to leave you with this. David himself connected this idea of meditation and worship. And I want you to see what it reveals to us about this. Psalm 63, verses 5 and 7. My soul will be satisfied, content, at peace, sufficient. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. See, now he's talking my language. I know what it feels like to have a really good steak and potatoes. It's a good feeling at the end of that meal. It's a good feeling in the middle of that meal. See how he's tethering us to something we can relate to? He's saying, hey, you know that feeling of just being satisfied with really rich, good food, that chocolate, that, oh man, just so good. He's saying, my soul is satisfied like that. When? My mouth will praise you 
with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. When are you awake at night? Is it when you're doing great? Okay, maybe when, like when I was eight and I knew vacation was the next day, then I had trouble sleeping because I was excited. So there's those occasional moments. Usually when we're awake at night, it's because something is stealing our peace. I'm anxious, I'm worried, I can't stop thinking about this thing. In that circumstance, David is saying, my soul finds satisfaction, so much so that my lips want to praise you in the night because I'm remembering you when I'm in those moments. And I'm meditating on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Because whatever that thing is that's coming my way, he's got me covered. That's the imagery of the shadow of his wings. We're finding comfort in his shelter. Friends, God, God wants us to experience what he has bestowed on us. He wants us to open up that gift, to enjoy the peace that he has to offer. Peace is not this thing we get our hands on. It's rooted in relationship. It's found in him. Let's choose to worship the one we were made to worship. Let's choose by faith in the midst of whatever our circumstances are to, to come to him. Let's practice meditating upon who he is and what he's up to, especially when our minds are going other places. And let's watch as he satisfies our souls. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the peace that you offer. Thank you for your presence that is readily available. Jesus, thank you that you know what you're talking about. You've walked these roads and you placed your life in your Father's hands. And Jesus, thank you that, that you have laid down your life, the offering we could never bring, so that we could be reconciled, reattached to the God of all peace. Thank you, Jesus, for making that way available. Lord, would you give us the faith to bring our peace offering, our, our act of worship, of thanksgiving, that we would enter into your presence and receive from you what you offer. God, help us to practice meditating upon the truth of who you are, what you're up to, what you're doing who we are anchored and rooted in you. I want to pray this over us. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. Father, into your hands we commit our spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you want a place to start this morning, if you want something to meditate on,
Psalm 16. Try that out. It's a few verses. I just read some of it. It's in my notes if you forget it. It's a place to start. You can meditate on his word wherever, however, let him draw you into it. But if you want a place to start this week, meditate on Psalm 16. Chew on it. Let it sink in. Eat it like a good meal. Watch what he might do to satisfy our souls. Love you guys. Y'all have a great week. We'll see you soon. I'll give you more love than I am right.